0: We all know it's coming and it's not gonna be pretty. It's great to have storable food, but when that runs out, what are you gonna do? Your best defense against the coming apocalypse is to have seeds so you can grow your own food. So I've been looking for various different seeds for the last couple of years. And off the bat, almost all seed companies are the same, as long as they're non-GMO, heirloom, yada yada. But it's the following years that really concern me. So I bought a whole bunch of seeds, last year and when you get seeds there's there's a lot of seeds in a pack a whole lot you're probably not gonna use them all if you have a small garden so you want to make sure they last again the following year so the best company I found for these seeds is called survival essentials and you go on their webpage it says your best defense against the coming apocalypse so go to survival-essentials.com save 10% with promo code defiant and get ready because we're gonna need to eat. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't trust the food in the grocery store anymore. I don't trust it unless I can plant the seed with my own hands and watch it grow with my own eyes and know where it's coming from and feed it to my family. So survival-essentials.com, promo code Defiant, saves
1: you 10%. It's time to resist. They can't arrest us all. And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no. Not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply. Refuse to show vaccine passports. Refuse to wear a mask. Refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now.
2: About to start when tomorrow comes Will you join
3: our crusade We will be strong and stand with me Beyond the barricade Is there a world you long to see
2: Then join in the fight That will give you the right to be
3: free Do you hear the people sing Singing the song
0: Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Freedom Gardens. Freedom Gardens number 12. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into beekeeping today. How's everyone doing? John, Wicks, morning. Good to see you all. The moringa tree, huh, John? That's, uh, I've heard of that. Maybe when I was looking at um, interesting, odd trees and shrubs and stuff, so. Interesting. I'll look further into that. Moringa tree. Okay. Anyway, um, it's been a little bit of a crazy week. I got dirt. I was very excited. So I figured I'll do a little uh, garden update before we dig into the bees. So let me do it this way. There we go. All right. So...
3: go in order here I think this is the way to do
0: it I guess we'll find out in just a second let me know if you guys can hear this when I play it okay y'all this is some next level repurposing stuff here so I had a broken storage container a broken storage tote right change in temperature just made it brittle. It fell apart. So I took advantage of that brittleness. The whole front side of it is off anyway. Plug some holes in the bottom and fill it with dirt and plant some watermelons and strawberries in it. And uh, I put these on either side. Keep it in. I have one more floating around somewhere that I'll put in the front, but uh, should be good to go. So there's our watermelon bed. Did you guys hear that? All right. Let's go to the next one.
3: All right, got
0: the last of the watermelons in, and some strawberries too. Again, repurposing, using a chewy box. Uh oh, watermelons are annuals. That so didn't work. Use what I Hold have. There it is. Okay. I realized you could hear that, but not see it. So that is not. The right way to share it see this is the problem when mick does this instead of me yeah there we go okay let's try it now all right got the last of the watermelons in and some strawberries too again repurposing using a chewy box watermelons are annuals So use what I have. There it is. And they'll slope right down there. Plenty of room around down to the
3: pond. Hopefully we should have plenty of melons. So Mick set up the
0: kind of broken sprinkler so that every morning it goes off Right around the time that I let the ducks and chickens out. And the ducks just love to play in it. They're so fun. Because, of course, they can't go in the pond because of the gator. And now we have a new gator. So much fun. He's little. He's like three feet. Mick was shooting him with a pellet gun yesterday. But he's coming right up into the duck's cove, which is not cool. So we're going to be scaring that gator away or killing it. It's It's really too little to legally kill, so we're going to try and scare it away. But the ducks are just so freaking cute. They're so much fun. So... Then, so the other day, and I talked a little bit about this on the show. We had a really, really nasty storm come through here. Um, it was uh, it was horrible. Uh, hail, tornadoes, fifty mile an hour winds. I mean, it was it was pretty wild. And we were driving home in it. So here's a little bit of what we experienced.
2: No. There is actively tiny ice balls.
3: Ice balls and everywhere. everywhere and you are opening the window. Well.
0: this was right by the house so i was very worried about the gardens
3: i said it is
0: winter wonderland in april in short term. The truck only there's a tiny little ding on the windshield. But other than that, everything was okay. So. Here you go. I'm so excited, y'all. Because my dirt got dropped off this morning. I called my local landscape supply company and they said, "Uh, can you deliver? And they said, sure. You be there in the morning. Actually said so that we can be there today and I said, How about tomorrow? So first thing this morning, look at all that. Big, beautiful dirt. Compost actually. Not really dirt. So uh, that is three yards of compost. And you bag it up at the store, that'd cost you, I don't know, eight, nine hundred dollars. Actually at, like, like three grand. Landscape supply, three hundred bucks including delivery. Not a bad deal because I went and looked at how much uh, organic compost is by the bag, um, it's like $25 a bag. So uh, this is like literally like $3,000 worth of compost if you bought it by the bag at you know Home Depot. And the local landscape supply dropped it off for 300 bucks. So um, it's beautiful, beautiful dirt. And this is my next project. So next project, bunch of that dirt is gonna go in there, Uh, especially along the sides. I'm gonna pile it up where I'm gonna plant sweet potatoes so those can grow. I've got to till up what's in there right now first and then start shoveling loads of compost into there. And that will be the chicken garden. So sweet potatoes will line up along the outsides. I'll grow grains some corn and uh, Chicken grass and whatever else in there for them. Kale. Good stuff. Stuff they like. Peas, beans. So that'll be the chicken garden. That's coming up next. I was afraid that this pecan didn't make it through the freeze. But I cut it all the way back and look, it's got little green on it. So that'll be coming back. Very exciting. And then planted two lemon trees. it got a good watering. So this is a, uh, it's called a nine pound lemon. The lemons are literally nine pounds, they're huge. And then this is a Monsanto lemon, which I had one in our old house and it's amazing. The lemons are so sweet. Um, almost like a Meyer lemon, but a little bit bigger and a little bit sweeter. So, in two or three years, we'll get lemons out of those. You actually get fruit the first year, but you gotta throw it. It's, it's no good. The ducks stretched their heads through and ate all of the stuff out of the back of the salad bed. So I replanted it. And I put this line of fencing here, so that they can't get through. And I just have some flowers that are going to grow down in here. I don't really care if they eat the flowers. I do kind of care if they eat the salad. Well, it's good for them. Uh, it's good for us, too. Look at that. It's grown beautifully.
2: This tomato. Wait a
0: minute. Waiting on this guy to ripen. There's a little one right above him, too. And a third one over there. More about to come up here. I moved these blueberries over. So this one there, I planted another one over by the raspberries in the back. All these peas are climbing up. Put that butterfly bush in.
3: So... And again, fenced from the ducks. All right, let me show y'all what I did in this garden. Fourth garden, the fifth garden, I don't know what it is. Anyway,
0: this is coming up now. Swiss chard, mammoth kale, um, giant sunflowers coming up there. Get rid of these, little weeds. And then I've got watermelon in here. This was a broken bucket actually. So popped it in there. I pulled the ugly um, spruce, evergreen spruce. Hey, get out of there. And I planted this lime tree in here instead with a couple other things. So I had these tiny shoots of strawberries and that's a blueberry there now, and some sweet potatoes. going to be done there. So I actually uh, cut the sweet potato leaves off of one bigger plant, and I planted them individually, so they're all around here. And then little strawberries there, so they will eventually expand and go through all of this. So sweet potatoes underneath, strawberries on top. And then the rosemary bush here. I'll have sunflowers coming up in there. That was the last of my soil. Now that I got more, I'll actually put some more in. That's fine. The sunflowers oh. are quite right at the top. And then there's a bed right there. And Here, I moved these pots over here. There's uh, strawberries and watermelon in there. And if they get super hot like this did, then I will cover those as well. So in here, you can see in the back there, there's pumpkins and uh, cucumbers and some sunflowers and some marigolds. They were getting burned out. So I put a shade covering on them just like that. And this broken bucket right here also has watermelons and strawberries in it. So. <laughs> This is the melon garden. I'm gonna finish it off today
3: by putting an herb bed in here. You'll see.
0: So this is what my gardens looked like this morning after two very, three hard rains, probably six inches of rain in three days. Good morning, friends. We start the day with a little update, see how everything has grown in the past week. We did get some really nasty storms, but we lucked out. So we had very little damage. We may be the only ones with plants left though. Tornado ripped through our town. Um, Debris everywhere, it's kind of rough. So I need to start weeding in here. However, like this is a weed. Uh, Get out. They will come right in here and destroy this. Okay, so my beefsteak tomatoes are starting to come up. There, there, Check that out. They're coming up. So that, these are all that is interesting. Spinach on the bowl. Hmm. I didn't plant that, but it's actually edible anyway. Uh, So that's looking good over here. Look at these. These are beautiful. These are about ready to pull. We'll be harvesting those probably Monday. Oh, there's one back there that's huge. That rain did it good down here too. These radishes are looking nice now. They actually grew. I just had to give them a little time. The beets are growing. Mm-hmm. Everything's growing. Carrots, more beets, kohlrabi. That's all nice. Okay. I've started pulling some of these radishes. These were a little smaller, but that's okay. I'm planting some tomatoes in their place. So there's some tomatoes down there. Um, these bunching onions are doing great. These onions are starting to form up. That's good. And then this is, these radishes are definitely get pulled on Monday. Um, a lot of them are already gone, but uh, tomatoes starting to come up in their place there. So, and same thing down here. These, this is all tomatoes now. And then these tomatoes have to go in. Our beans are doing awesome. Already starting to form beans, flowering all over the place. How it works out great for them. Here's a bean, look at that. Anyway, little beans. Cucumbers down here, starting to come up. Beets, salad greens. I've been harvesting these greens a little bit. Carrots there. Look at that cucumber already climbing up on that side. That rain did awesome over here. Lots and lots of water, like four or five inches. Um, oh, that's a nice bean. Pick that one. There we go. That's a bean as long as my hand. And another one here. Two beans longer than my hand. So that's doing awesome beets over here, marigolds and borage. These peas are also starting to flower. We'll have peas soon. These tomatoes are doing awesome. That kohlrabi is getting huge. That broccoli is starting to flower finally. Um, Those peas are flowering. It's beautiful. Marigolds, marigolds and borage. You can see where the rain washed out here. But those roots are dug in nice and tight. So they did well. Coming down here, I planted some tiny Tim tomatoes in here. They should be well shaded by the sun before they get their legs. Um, Again, marigolds and borage in here. And in there, that one's going back to flower. It'll be pretty soon. Then, and mushroom spores in there. I don't know what kind of mushrooms, I guess we'll find out. Grapes, doing beautifully. This tomato these sunflowers coming up there now spiderweb hello spiderweb spiders love the electroculture i will say that now they do keep a lot of the other bugs away but uh yeah anyway this tomato's dead it can go this tomato is sitting in its place we'll see how that does more herbs, rosemary, lavender. This is a blueberry here. And then um, that's actually giant kale mint. And then I got another grape, a big one, and I climbed it up there. And then there's a little grape on the other side that's also climbing. So um, parsley, and then these melons up in here. So then, Rutabaga. That's actually doing really nice here and there. The potatoes. Jeez, the potatoes. The potatoes are so beautiful. Massive mammoth basil starting to come up. The salad bed, I had to replant. The back line, but man, that I literally did that two days ago, and it's already starting to come up because the ducks stuck their heads through. But back there, I actually planted flowers um, and put another fence up so they couldn't get through to this corn. <laughs> with tomatoes kind of interspaced and squash interspaced in between, so tomatoes, corn, and squash.
3: Herb bed. Um, just everything's coming up in here. And then... Just
0: heard it. Giant kale asparagus now this is first year asparagus those tomatoes are coming up over there if you can see them that's right on an electroculture steak and it's it's loving it <clears throat> uh, brussels sprouts onions wow um yeah that's marshmallow root in the front um Squash right there, spinach in the back. Again, the ducks got through the spinach. I was able to relocate some of the blueberries. So those are right there now. And then more melons. Salad greens, melons. So that's one garden. Now, I initially started planting this garden from seed on March 2nd, so the oldest plants in there are, what, not quite eight weeks old from seed. Here's the second one. This one I started April 2nd. Garden number two. This garden's only not even a month old from seed. Anyway. That's all cucumber right there. Marigolds and sunflowers in the front. Peas and beans around this electroculture steak here. Um, those cucumbers are already starting to trail up, grab up these, which is exactly what it's there for. These melons, these are planted last actually, in the front and the back of that pallet there. The birds got in there and ate some of these, but they're coming back up. Gonna replant that with some more sunflowers. Um, let's see, the peas are awesome here. This pepper has gone crazy, and that's a second year pepper that's transplanted. This whole melon or this whole pea or bean bed is is wild. Um, it's gonna start giving me lots of beans here soon, but I had to tie it all up, and it is shading cauliflower and beets in the middle. So this pepper here, and this is the pepper garden, pepper and eggplants actually. So I did pick up some new peppers because peppers from seed take a solid two years to produce anything really good. So eggplants, these are my eggplants from seed that I put in the middle there, Um, these I purchased. Then all different peppers here, different kinds of peppers hot peppers sweet peppers etc so these are all in now Um, hot Thai pepper lots of peppers this oh and then cilantro all around it this was literally the only damage we had this there and uh, a little see a little hole right there in the collards that's it Um, from the storm that's awesome so all of these cucumbers are going crazy and turning to peas on the side. They're going crazy. Um, these salad greens with a random pea popping up carrots, there'll be onions and garlic popping up in there too. Squash and corn right there. Um, okra and kohlrabi maybe in here and coming around this side, More peas. This herb bed. Now, because I use the chicken compost in this garden. Chickens eat clover. Clover seeds. All through here. Look at all that. This is weeds. This is not herbs. So, um, but until the herbs get really big, I've kind of got to wait to pull the weeds. So, like this is, I see what that is. But otherwise, it's really difficult to tell the weeds from the herbs so we're just gonna leave that for a while uh another pepper there that I transplanted that's doing awesome and another one there see it's got some Tabasco peppers on it here's the squash with the corn see the corn there coming up in the middle and these Radishes need a little bit more time, but holy crap, they're huge. But leggy again, like the other ones. Cabbage is starting to come up right there. Bok choy is actually ready to be harvested. So are some of the collard greens and uh, the mustard greens. And then these peppers are all starting to flower, get peppers on them these in the front, melons in the back. Hello, Cocoa Puff. They're so interested. Ochre down the center here, inside these, and then salad greens. I harvested a lot of these the other day for salads before it rained, and then it got huge again. Um, Salad greens with carrots. See the onions starting to come up there and uh, spinach with carrots and onions there. So four rows and they're big. So garden number two, less than a month old with some transplants. And uh, I
3: think we're gonna have a lot of food.
0: yeah what do y'all think am i gonna have a lot of food It's crazy okay here's the container garden on to the container garden so i used this to make me potting soil i took a bunch of the compost that i got put it in there with some perlite and there i had potting soil and then i used it because i potted everything um all the tomato seedlings i uh put in pots i'll start new tomato seedlings so these guys just got potted yesterday Then I've got sweet potatoes and strawberries in here. That's a Meyer lemon tree. That's a Meyer lemon tree. Strawberries in the hanging baskets there. Potatoes. This is a mandarin orange tree here. Tomatoes, 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 tomato, 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 tomato. This, so this pot wasn't draining well, so it really flooded. So I put some drainage holes in it, but the difference caused the plant to die. Um, but I had a bunch of tomatoes on it. So they're actually, they're still turning red because that happens from the sun and I'll just have little baby cherry tomatoes. So once they all turn red, I'll pick them. Um, and then I'll use that for something else. Tomato, some in there. So a week ago, those were the size of that. So these guys will get much bigger really fast now that they're in pots. Um, and lemongrass over there. Yeah, so all tomatoes. This guy's beautiful. These are ready to get picked. Tomato, tomato, tomato. This potato keeps shading those tomatoes. So I'm gonna just tilt them a little bit. This is sweet potatoes and strawberries here. That, this guy, that shade. And there we go. Potatoes. So these are going to be ready in probably about a month because once the leaves turn yellow like this and fall down about two or three weeks later um once they harden they're ready this was planted two or three weeks after so yeah butterfly bush yeah so there's the container garden so i do have some electroculture stakes in some of those, um, like the big potato bed there, I've got it. You see, I've got the steak right there on the edge, um, right in the front. And then, uh, like the mandarin orange tree has a steak next to it. And some of the tomatoes have steaks in them. And for those, I just take smaller steaks. So, um, let's see, where's, there's the mandarin orange tree. So I'll just take a smaller steak uh, maybe two feet tall and wrap it with copper and stick it in the pot. So that's how I do electroculture in the pots. Not all of them have it. Uh, the permanent pots do. A lot of these tomatoes are going to end up getting transplanted either into a bigger pot or out to the garden. I just, I had to get them out of their little seed packs because they were, they were starting to go dormant because um, they had outgrown what they were in. So anyway, and... All right, here's my next one after the chicken garden. This is my next project. I wanna clear this out and plant fruit in here. Um, blueberries, blackberries, there's actually some in here already, but uh, like this one
3: but I've been waiting
0: for it to turn. It's yummy. But that's gonna be my fruit area. Mm, so good strawberries Um, and Mick is getting me some coffee trees for Mother's Day so this is going to be a good place to
3: plant those have a lot of work to do first
0: and I actually have um, elderberry cuttings, elderberry bush cuttings coming in and that's going to be a great place to plant the elderberry bushes as well So, and then Let's see. All right. I went over a lot of this, but here's the herb bed that we did. Welcome to the melon garden and the herb garden. So I took this old, it's actually a front of my son's bed, the bookshelf and uh, turned it into an herb bed. So filled that with compost yesterday. There's actually some sweet potato slips in there too, but then basil on one side and uh, parsley, oregano, and thyme on the other. I haven't filled these yet, but I'll do those on Monday and put uh, like summer savory and chervil and things like that, uh, chives in there. So that'll be the herb bed. Then this is some watermelons in it. It's an old broken bucket that I took and filled it with dirt and some watermelons. And that is going to slope down here. Um, Walking a little bit further down. Rosemary, I've had this rosemary bush in a pot for like seven years, and I finally pulled it and put it in the ground. I think it's gonna get really big. This will be sunflowers over there. Um, So little sunflowers. Then over here, this is a blueberry bush right here. It already has blueberries starting to form. So hopefully it likes that. I put a lime tree there sweet potato slips underneath, and then tiny little strawberries, tiny, tiny little strawberry seedlings all throughout. So this should eventually, in a few years, cover with strawberries. And there's already uh, raspberries here. Let's see. Back up for enough if you can see it. This guy right here. Shameless is such a whiner. Then, sunflower, marigolds, and melons right here. So the melons will actually come tilt down and carry down. Same thing, melons and strawberries in there. And uh, sunflowers and borage in there. And then under here,
3: To give this guy a little
0: sun. This was getting a little burnt out. So I've got pumpkins, cucumbers, strawberries, marigolds, and sunflowers in there. But it was a little too much sun and starting to burn. So I put a sun cover on it. And then this was actually an old broken bucket as well um, that I put watermelons and strawberries in. And while that gets its roots, I put the sun cover half on that too. So let's see, of course, over here, those sweet potato slips will go in the chicken feed garden, Uh, but I've got some beets or some giant kale, and some sunflowers coming up in there. And if you can see, there you go, you can see the garden a little bit better that way. So that's it. For now. So yeah, I've been uh, doing just a little bit of work. Getting just a just a bit of stuff done. Have a couple more projects to do. So um, it is a great weight loss regimen for sure. All right. So I don't know by telling, but I'm thirsty, so before we move on to bees, I'm going to show you how I make my dirt water, in case you've not seen it before. Um, not
2: that. All
0: right, so one scoop of Cardio Miracle. If you're not familiar with Cardio Miracle, this is literally life-saving, um, and it has Everything that you need. It's a nitric oxide blend, but it doesn't make you all red and puffy. Um, and it's got all the vitamins and minerals that you need for your entire day. So, one scoop of Cardio Miracle. And I do this twice a day. Then, my vitamins, my liposomal vitamin D3 and K2, uh, from Aurora Nutriscience. You can go to PatriotPartyPod.com. There's a link to get these as well. Um, so that's the vitamin D3 and K2, and it comes with a little cap thing on it. So one, those, of course I get plenty of vitamin D from the sun, but um, something like 85% of people that die in the hospital have a vitamin D deficiency. So, uh, then the same thing, Aurora NutraScience vitamin C. Now this is 3000 milligrams per serving. I do it twice a day. So I get 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day just from this. And then of course that doesn't count the vitamin C that's in the cardiomerical or the vitamin D that's in the cardiomerical. Um, this one. Uh, this is uh, a 5,000 IU of vitamin D. So I get 10,000 IU of vitamin D 6,000 of vitamin C every day. So cap full of the vitamin C. This is an acquired taste y'all, but then distilled water in my fresh mouth ozone cup. Um, this, I think, probably ran two cycles on this with the ozone and the hydrogen but one or the other distilled water very very important in the jar goes i use mason jars for everything they're fantastic and now you do have to start up well because You have all the sediment on the bottom. And I mean, literally stir it before you, you know, shake it up before you take a sip every time because the sediment will keep going to the bottom and you want it in you. So um, there you go. Dirt water. That's what I call it. Because Heather says it tastes like dirt. I actually like it. Again, it's an acquired taste, but um, it works really well for me and it makes me feel great. So anyway, so... I did go to the farmer's market last week. Unfortunately, when we got there, the community table was already full. But I took the opportunity to go around the farmer's market and meet everybody and buy a couple of things, some vinegar, some honey. Um, and I talked to the honey guy um, and he will actually come and set up the hive here for us. Um, he will provide the bees. Um, so either like he'll put the bees here and he'll maintain it and he'll come and get the honey or we can purchase the whole thing from him. Um, and then he'll basically he'll show us how to do it. Um, he'll help us take care of it for the first year. Uh, but then we get all the honey. So uh, if you guys would like to contribute to helping us with that, uh, givesengo.com slash freedom bees, we would certainly appreciate any assistance that you would like to contribute towards the bees because bees are amazing so um i have kind of been debating what kind of hive i want
3: mm.
0: this is you are supposed to take this on an empty stomach too by the way i haven't eaten anything so i apologize if my stomach is rumbling it is what it is i'll go out and pick a salad for lunch afterwards and hard boil a duck egg and it'll be an amazing lunch get some of those tomatoes off the container garden in the back Hmm. Mm. And those beans that I picked, yeah, lunch is going to be fantastic. Anyway, let us see about bees. Oh, Claire. Hello, Claire. Claire says, I'd love to have a hive, but apparently it's no good if you're scared of them, which you are. Well, I talked about this a little bit last week. Here's the deal with bees, okay? And I've never been scared of bees. I love bees, actually. And they love me. But... Bees are tiny, especially in comparison to you. Honeybees are actually really gentle, but they they live by their senses and they react by their senses and they can sense smell when you're afraid. So if this tiny little thing comes up to this gigantic creature, which you are to them, and it smells fear on you, this tiny little bee goes, oh man, this giant is afraid well, I I should be afraid too, right? And then it stings you. Bees will only sting you if you smell like fear because they don't know why you're afraid. And so then they become afraid because if this giant thing is afraid, then obviously there's something really, really, really scary around. They have no concept that it's them. So anyway, um, just don't be afraid. I I don't know what to tell you. Anywho, wasps, on the other hand, are assholes. They, they are seriously assholes. I was painting the house before we moved and uh, there was a wasp nest right there, right where I was painting. And I was like, y'all, I'm not going to hurt you. Just, you know, going to paint around you. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. And this wasp came and landed on my hand, which doesn't bother me at all. They don't bother me at all. Fucker didn't sting me. He bit me, literally bit me on my knuckle. I was like, you motherfucker. Anyway, wasps are assholes but bees are really sweet. So um and yes, I do talk to animals just like they're people and they generally understand me. So you should try it cuz they'll generally understand you too. All right. So um let's get into some beekeeping for beginners. Hive setup.
1: Hi, I'm Tricia, an organic gardener. I grow organically for a healthy and safe food supply, for a clean and sustainable environment, for an enjoyable and rewarding experience. Increase the yields from your fruit trees and your vegetable garden, and reap the sweet reward of honey by setting up a beehive in your own backyard. Today, we're gonna review what equipment you need and how to set up your hives. First, we need to select a dry level location that we can access year round. Ideally, you'll face the hive entrance towards the southern exposure. The bees will fly straight out of the entrance, so make sure it's not facing directly into a sidewalk, the neighbor's yard, or your own family or pet's play area. You can set up your hive to face a hedge or a fence, and the bees will quickly learn to fly up and over the barrier, keeping them out of your hair, literally. Be aware of any pests in your neighborhood and plan accordingly. For example, if you have bears in the area, install an electric fence preemptively to keep them from getting a taste of the honey because once they get one taste, they may just charge through an electric fence in the future. If you have skunks in the area, build a stand for your hive to sit on that's at least 18 inches tall. What happens is the skunks at night will rile up the bees and then wait for them to fly out of the hive and eat them like candy. You can set up your hives either directly on the ground or on a flat surface like this pallet. This redwood hive stand will resist rot. This is a solid bottom board. It helps keep the bottom of the hive secure. There are also screened bottom boards that can help with monitoring pests such as mites. This entrance reducer fits snugly into the bottom board and is useful while the colony establishes itself and does the trick for keeping mice out of the hive. Once you see an increasing amount of bee traffic, you can rotate the entrance reducer to the larger entrance or remove it altogether. Depending on the weather and the availability of pollen when you get your new bees, you may want to install a feeder. This will encourage the new colony to draw comb quickly so the queen can lay eggs and the workers can store pollen. If you want to use the entrance reducer and the feeder at the same time, you're going to need to cut your entrance reducer to size. The entrance feeder is great because you can add the sugar syrup without having to open the hive. And the sugar syrup is just a combination of one-to-one ratio of organic sugar and hot water. Let it cool before feeding the bees. Next up are the two brood chambers. These nine-and-five-eighths-inch boxes are going to be the core of your bee's home. Within these two boxes, the queen will lay eggs which will turn into larva, pupa, and immature bees, all of which are referred to as brood. Hence the name brood chambers or brood box. These two brood boxes are where the bees will store their food to survive the winter. A beekeeper will inspect the chambers to be sure that they're healthy, but you don't want to steal the honey from these bottom two chambers if you want your bees to survive the winter. Once the bees have filled up these boxes to about 85% with brood and honey, and that'll take about 6 to 12 months, then you can add an addition. In order to keep the queen in the brood chambers, lay a queen excluder on top of the brood chambers. The queen is much larger than the worker bees. Therefore, she cannot fit through these narrow gaps, but the workers can. Now for the sweet part. These are the honey supers, and these are six and 5 8 inch pine boxes that you're gonna add to the top of your chambers. Add one of these additions at a time to your beehive. Once your super is about 50% full of honey, You can add another one. You'll notice that I'm setting up an eight frame hive today. This means that there's eight of these wooden frames that the bees will draw their honeycomb onto in each box. Commercial apiaries will generally use a 10 frame super, but those can be very heavy, up to about 60 pounds. And for the home beekeeper, you want it a little bit more manageable when you take your super inside the house to harvest the honey. The inner cover is set on top of the last super. It has a hole for ventilation and provides insulation from extreme heat and cold. And at last, the cover, which will provide protection from rain and snow. And in this case, it'll add a decorative feature to the garden. Optionally, you can secure your hive with tie downs or straps. This pine hive is beautiful and if you want it to retain its function and appearance it's important to paint it before the bees arrive. I'm going to paint mine with this natural non-toxic polyway clear varnish but you can use latex on the outside. I'm starting with two hives and to make painting easier I've stacked all the boxes. One of the best tips for beginners is to start with two beehives, like I'm doing today so that you can compare and contrast them over time helping you to better understand what normal looks like. Since bees can differentiate between colors, have some fun and paint your hives different colors if you wish, and you'll help your new bees better find their way home. Now that everything is dry, my hives are ready for the bees. I'm using the redwood base, the solid bottom board, the entrance reducer, two brood boxes, the inner cover, and the roof. I'm going to store the two supers and the queen excluder until I need them. So be a beekeeper and grow organic for life. Hi, I'm Tricia and organic garden.
0: All right. And that is what I'm trying to do. Grow organic for life. Um, and actually when I was in the uh, the melon garden the other day and going back behind the pool, there were some honeybees back there. So I think there might already be a hive somewhere on my property. I just have to find it. That's the interesting part. So let's see. Then, mm, all right we are going to try and learn how to build a beehive from scratch using a pallet. I have tons of pallets in case y'all didn't see in the debris around my yard. Um, That's also my next like immediate project just to clean everything up. But I have lots of pallets and the ability to get more relatively cheaply or sometimes for free. So let's see how we can use them to maybe build a beehive.
4: Hello guys like I showed before in the in the video I found the Behave inside this uh, dead tree. Unfortunately, in Puglia, in Apulia, many olive tree, they died. In this one, I found this bee family. So my goal now is to build a bee and try to convince this family to enter inside. And after we can try to take care of the family. And in the future, maybe this spring, I hope to collect the honey.
0: Sorry, real quick. Claire, yes. My entire garden is electroculture. I've done multiple shows on it. Um, in fact, I combined electroculture with sacred geometry. So I built electroculture structures in a Fibonacci sequence through both my main gardens. That's why my plants are so big.
4: So I think that the more difficult thing is not to build a ba but to convince them. But now let's start building this ba and let's see if they will enter let's start saying that this is not my job because who follow this channel know that i like to make many experiments but maybe who is new they think that i am professional i'm not a professional one about the bee. I like to read about them. I read a lot of books. I take a lot of information. So now because I found these uh, wild bees in a tree, I want to build my beehive. Plus I will do a beehive, observation beehive, a kind. And also a kind of transportation beehive because it will be a small beehive. So let's start saying that if you want to start these uh, things like a job, like a business, it's better if you buy the beehive already made or the with the standard dimension because it will be more easy to move the bees, and stuff like that. You will have all the same dimension if you want to mix the things. So for this reason, I bought this frame. This is a standard one. I will use this to uh, build around the body of my VI. One very important thing is this that is called uh, frame spacer because uh, you put the frame like this and with this you keep the right distances for your frames. Why we should keep the right distances? Because the bees are very, very smart. They being created, not like us, with freedom, but with different law that they follow because they have no freedom. So in the if in the beehive they have a space smaller than seven, seven millimeter, they close it because they think that it is useless. If the space is more than nine millimeters, They create a bridge, a bridge with the wax, because they want to uh, use all the space inside to collect the honey. So our goal is to stay all the space inside around eight millimeter. In this way, it will be easy to remove the frame and do everything. If not, they will uh, close them, and will be very hard to remove it. Plus. We need the door or the um, entrance. We will make the entrance for the bee, so we need a door to keep them. In this way, they can enter. If you want to move your bee you turn the door and they will stay inside. It will be safe for you and also for them. Plus, because there is a disease common in many countries that is called uh, Barroa, I think also in English. I will write down if it's a different name you need a net like this that is the right dimension for the bee but when you spray the things to kill this disease all these small animals will fall and plus the air will circulate inside the the hive so this is very important and because I'm building this to show you what is happening inside I will make uh, three windows so I bought this uh, frame for pictures I will use this like a window so this is no important dimension the one that you find you need to make the all big like this I will do one in the back and one each side it's no good to do in front because uh, when they fly it's better if there is nothing in front of them it's better for them but also for you because they will uh, defend the pi so i will use this palette don't worry is a a clean one because uh, my friends that give me it work the clay so no chemical stuff and also if you use the glue like me you should use the uh, vinyl glue most natural is better it is, and after also if you decide to paint your bi uh, always natural paint with uh, like a water paint no chemical stuff inside so let's start when i do some pieces i show you i tell you the dimension but the important is the dimension inside so if you follow a standard like this you will have no problem This is the front of our beehive. Here is the door of the entrance for the bee. This is the back with the window, so we can watch inside. Here there is a small hole. This hole is for the bee that I want to collect from the tree, so you don't need it. So after the bee will be inside, I will close with a piece of wood and this is one side again with the space for the window so we can watch inside again so now I do the last side and after I put all the pieces together and I tell you the dimension because it will be more easy to understand Okay, done it. Eh? Now I give you the dimension but before uh, that I go ahead with the project I want to paint my uh, beehive. I will paint it white and the roof may be red or green. I need to decide. I paint now because uh, I don't want to dirty my future windows and the doors. We need to paint it only outside because the bees they don't care and they don't like that you paint everything inside, they like the natural wood. Now I give you also the dimension. Remember that the important thing is the inside. I give you the dimension and after I show you the v finish. If not, this video will be very, very long. Remember that the important thing is always the inside. So from the bottom to where uh, we put our frame, is a 31 centimeter point eight. I can give you also in inches, if you are living in uh, the States, I think that is uh, 12 inches. So in this way, when you put the frame on the bottom, you have uh, close to three centimeter, or close to one inch and something. So there is, there will be space for the bees' family. Remember that when they will grow, because this is very small, you need to take a real one, the big one. And this is large, 23.6 centimeter. in inch, is uh, 9.3 inches. So now I will paint, I'll show you later. I put the window and inside like I show you I use this one this is for the fruit It's very uh, thin so very easy to use it plus uh, I put the door or the gate for the entrance I don't know if you can see it and on the bottom there is the net Now I will color here and also the bottom, not the net, naturally. Uh, This area is where the bee get off and get up. I don't know in English. We need to leave natural without paint. Plus, uh, I prepare also the roof. When you use the pallet, you need to find a way because you see, it's always a mess. So for this reason, I will use I will buy a, a foil of wood that will close properly. And after we will put this on the top. So I go ahead, I will add the other windows and everything. See you at the end when I will put all the pieces together.
0: The way to fix that with the roof is to make it slightly bigger so that it it overlaps the top of the box and like sits on it. Um
3: if that
2: makes
5: sense.
2: <laughs>
4: okay the house is done i put also the small roof in front the other roof is ready the window everything so you need to put the frame after i show you how to make one but it's always better to buy it because they are very very cheap for the roof i use uh, this I prepared this model to follow because it's not easy especially when the boot is not perfect is not straight because i get it from the palette so if you do this it will be perfect i use here and also here so they are equal and uh, don't worry for all the information uh, you can find uh, the link for an article that luomo di casa will make because he's a uh, do-it-yourself man on his website you can find many things about the wood about the colors and also the information how to make this be i love the italians they make everything so pretty he will brought it in english in, uh, in italian sorry but don't worry with google translation google will translate automatically for you plus i make this personal uh, sign this is the final touch so the windows are working very well and other things important is the frame now i'll show you how you can make it at home but if you buy it is much cheaper because uh, one of these we already the metal line is less than one euro you need in my case only six if you have uh, the big one with 10 with 10 euro you have everything ready and they are done better than the homemade plus i want to thank Vito from the Miggiano Garden Center because he helped me to get some information to build it also he gave me the advice that the window should stay closed very well we can open to check but after the bees uh, like to live in the darkness so we need to close them very well if you want to find some other information also he has a website again in Italy so is in italian language so you can buy also the material there you can check have a look if not you can buy on amazon or where do you prefer depend on the country where do you live okay let's make one of these Naturally, this is on mail, so it's not perfect, but I think it will work very well. In theory, the metal is not necessary for the bees, but it's necessary for us because when we move the frame outside, inside our uh, beehive, we risk to broken the box, and so the honey will fall, there. the bees too is a mess. With the metal, will be more stronger. Okay. If you don't want to miss the next video where i will try to convince the bees enter in our beehive click on the bell so when i will post the video you will receive the notification and if you are not subscribed to the channel please subscribe if you are a bees expert or you have some advice to give us they are always welcome please write it down in the comments bye bye He's very cute. Anyway.
0: So we go. So someone had told me, um, someone in here about bottle to bottle honey production. Okay. Contactless beekeeping. So I looked it up. So let's see what we got here. Let's check this out. Because, let's see Empress said, uh, we had three beehives on the farm Spinning out the honey was always fun An extremely messy job Won't ever forget the day the boys opened the spigot And ran the honey out all over the breezeway floor They had a blast, I cried LOL, it took me days to clean that sticky mess off I bet you weren't laughing your ass off When it happened Uh, I, I, I would probably Hmm I don't know. I don't know. There would would probably be blood amongst the honey. I just have to say. Anyway. um, And Claire, yes, definitely look back for the shows in electriculture. It's it's in the Freedom Garden shows. um, And uh, it's very interesting. And it's doing incredibly well. So, all right. Let's check out some bottle-to-bottle honey beekeeping. If I can find my mouse. There it is.
6: I am going to show you the advantages of making your own Bottle Bee Hive System from low-cost parts that are easily available in North America. And I'll graphically illustrate the reduction in the area of exposure when opening or splitting the hive, dramatically reducing your contact with the bees. Max Igorov in St. Petersburg, Russia has an excellent video showcasing his evolutionary system that he has developed. Our series will not duplicate his content, but instead will show you How to make your own system without a table saw, router, or chop saw. Unlike some YouTube videos, we won't waste your time watching us develop it by trial and error. The system is already developed and based on the book Beekeeping for the Apocalypse. Although we will talk about contactless beekeeping, there really is no such thing. You risk contact with a bee on a walk through your neighborhood. What we really mean is low-contact beekeeping where we minimize the contact with the bees as much as possible. You will probably associate beekeepers with veiled bee suits, long gloves, and a can emitting smoke. This equipment is required for beginning beekeepers due to the high amount of contact with the bees in the hive. A hive can contain fifty to 60,000 bees. Even when opening the hive at times when most of the bees are in the field collecting pollen, There are still thousands of bees in the hive and a steady stream of bees returning. Traditional beekeepers will open their hives from one to four times a month so that they can inspect the condition of their colony. That means that they are exposing themselves to thousands of bees on a regular basis. To be sure, there are beekeeping systems that have the goal of minimizing the intrusion into the hive. But the design of almost all commercially available hives means opening a large area to see what is going on inside. But by keeping your bees in a transparent hive, you are able to examine the condition of a large part of the colony without opening the container. Hives can be split and honey supers removed with almost no exposure. Even if the bottle must be opened, the area exposed is reduced. As a result of the dramatically reduced exposure, the need for a full protective suit and smoker may not be a necessary initial investment. Of course, it should be said that if you or a family member is allergic to bees, you probably should not be considering beekeeping as a hobby, even with a reduced contact system. Advantage of bottle beekeeping are low cost of entry compared to traditional systems, Reduced contact with the bees means less stress on the beekeeper and the colony. Educational value of a transparent hive that can be examined without exposure to the bees. Ease of single hive transportation. Less physical strain due to the lighter weight of a hive full of bees and honey. Easy comb rotation to aid in the long-term health of the colony. Possibility for indoor beekeeping and a natural approach for those concerned about contamination from beekeeping chemicals. Stay tuned to the end for a list of the tools that you will need to build your own bottle beehive system and a list of parts that you will need for the next video. There are disadvantages too. The disadvantages of bottle beekeeping are it's not suitable for commercial operations since the hives cannot be conveniently put on pallets for shipments. There is a lower honey yield, Langstroth and similar hives have been designed to maximize every inch of space. Round bottles will be less efficient. And finally, you may not be appreciated by traditional beekeepers due to the radical departure from existing methods. We focus on components that can be readily obtained from the store that everybody loves to hate, Walmart, along with a dollar store and your neighborhood hardware store like Ace. In the next video, we will show you how to modify a low cost bucket swarm trap to integrate with the bottle system. In the video after that, we will build a plastic bottle beehive. The bottle will be utilized as a part of the swarm trap, then used as your first hive. For the series, you will need the following tools a box knife, a drill or a hand brace, a three quarter inch diameter drill bit, a one inch diameter drill bit, and a two and one eighth inch hole saw, and finally a hot glue gun and some glue sticks. Watch the next video to learn how you can modify a bucket into part of a swarm trap to get free bees into your bottle beehive.
0: And we will get to those at a later date because I actually want to do it um, once I find the bees on my property. So. Don't worry. We're going to get to that. I'm going to try and trap the bees in the bottle hive, but we're going to have to build it. And I need Mick for that. So anyway, um, but let's look at this. Mason jar honeycomb.
7: Hey, it's Jason from Bohemia bees and I'm going to show you a uh, neat little way to make some comb honey in a jar. You know, this is not something new that we created. It's something we saw on the internet and there's some novelty things out there to help you do this, but this is just an easy way to do it yourself. If you want to want to try it out. The concepts are that you have a strong colony of bees. As you can see, we've taken an inner cover and we've drilled holes that are about
8: the same size as the
7: opening, as these ball jars, with the lid on. We're going to take these jars and place them over the holes, and the bees will come up inside and make honeycomb, draw out honeycomb much like they've done on the frames down below. They'll fill it with honey, cap it over, and then we'll tap off the jar with honey and sell them that way. Just a different way to sell the honey, kind of a novelty. But we do put a little bit of wax in the bottom. We melt down some beeswax using a double boiler and just pour it in the bottom. And that gives them a little bit of a starting point to come up or you know, wanting to come up into the jar and build comb attached to that. You know, they can chew that and use that for the comb or whatever they, they want to use it as a starter. But really it's simple, you just take, take a, a strong colony Drill the, the nine holes. We've done nine. This one you can stagger them a little differently if you have different size jars and fit more holes, but we did nine. And then we're gonna take them and just literally set them over the holes. And once we fill them up, we're going to be able to have a chamber that's completely covered off by mason jars. So the bees will come up into these mason jars and build comb and fill it with honey as if it's like an extension to their super their honey super they will not be able to get into this box here because it's closed off Um, and if we need to remove this for purposes to do an inspection typically within a few days the bees will have glued these down enough uh, or there's comb kind of coming create them to do that so i can pick the box off very easily lift the lid up and set it to the side, do an inspection and put it back. Some people screw or nail or glue the lids down. I've seen a few videos doing that. I think that's a lot more extra effort than needed. Uh, We're going to test it out to make sure that bees don't um, need to have a reason to have those down. It's tight enough and heavy enough that they can't move them around. So let's see, uh, we'll give this a a week or two. We'll come back and see what the bees have done. Okay, so this is a few days later, uh, probably two or three days later, and the bees have now discovered the fact that they need to move up into, build into these small jars. If you look, they're starting to measure and build comb. There's one over here, starting to build some comb on the side. And the rest of the bees are also trying to figure and measure up where they're going to draw the comb out in the jar. So we'll keep an eye on this, check back here in another few days and see what the progress looks like. Okay, it's a few weeks later and we're back here in the apiary, and you can see we're pulling our mason jar super off, and they are packed with honey. It's honeycomb. They've been capping and working for several weeks now. All the jars are full, and we're starting to pull them off and set them aside. The way you do that is really just pull the jar off, come to the front of the hive up here, give them a quick shake to get the bees out. There's going to be some that are going to stay in there, but you set that down in your container to the left. And they will start to feast on the open honey that's to the top of the lid. And you'll do one more shake before you take them in and get them out. You want to move quick because we're in a dearth and you don't want robbing bees or robbing to occur. All right. We only did nine jars in this super, so we're going to go ahead and finish them up and take them in the uh, honey processing room. All right, so we're going to take these and we're going to stick them in our freezer. And the reason we do that is to make sure that there are no small hive beetles or any other pathogens that potentially could be in that jar because you're putting 100% raw honey and raw honeycomb so this is just a way to mitigate any particular pests um, any remaining bees that one or two bees that are kind of down there you want to shake them out pretty good before you put them in so you don't kill any bees we put them in our freezer for 24 hours 24 to 48 hours come back out let them thaw out and then we will check them to make sure they are clean and they're good we'll fill them with honey and then we'll show you how we do that okay so our last step Of our mason jar cut comb or mason jar natural comb that we're testing out this year is to finish filling this cavity with honey now. So you can see the bees have filled up and capped off all the comb that they built inside the jars, which is kind of cool, but now we're going to fill it the rest of the way. So here we go. Letting that settle into the jar. There we go. Full jar of honey with comb, ready to uh, go from their hive to your table. Enjoy, friends. Limited supply. Make sure you get them before they go.
0: Okay, that's pretty cool. Again,
7: remember, at Bohemia Apiary, beekeeping is definitely more than a hobby. It's an obsession.
0: So obviously that's with the traditional hive. Um and you'd put that on top of your super. That's very cool. So, but let's look at. All right.
3: Um here we go.
0: Bottle to bottle honey production, contactless or minimal contact beekeeping.
8: Friends, in this video, I will tell you about my experience of breeding bees in a plastic bottle. I believe that using this novel beekeeping technique, each of us will be able to provide our family with high quality honey, bee bread, pollen, royal jelly, draw milk, propolis and other beekeeping products. This is a natural, almost non-contact way of beekeeping in a transparent beehive. Therefore, you'll be able to monitor the life of your bees and they won't sting you. Moreover, you'll be able to start living in the comfort of your own bee therapy house. In other words, you can provide your relatives with a lifestyle in conditions of continuous therapy, improving health and prolonging life for your loved ones and yourself. Unlike traditional beekeeping, my method is very inexpensive, doesn't require deep knowledge in beekeeping, and best of all, consumes minimal free time for this trade. And all this is for the sake of a purpose, which I will reveal at the end of the video. Experts assert that the most difficult thing in agriculture is animal husbandry, and the most difficult thing in animal husbandry is beekeeping. To get bees and try yourself in traditional beekeeping, you will need to invest a lot of money, time and effort. And according to statistics, your apiary will most likely die within a year or two. You will need to build or buy beehives, beehive frames with wax foundation, a honey extractor, wax press, queen excluder, smoker, feeders, specialized clothing and a long list of other needed supplies. It is impossible to be a beekeeper with an apiary consisting of only one bee colony, so your expenses will start from around $10,000 and only a few beekeepers will be likely to recapture this investment. All bees in apiary can die at any time, even if a beekeeper is an experienced professional. They can be poisoned unintentionally or on purpose, they can get infected by multiple diseases or they can be killed by abnormal weather conditions the risks are abundant. After a couple of years, you will acquire a huge store of knowledge and, according to statistics, most likely give up this occupation. Under such conditions, a gamble with an apiary is possible only out of ignorance. However, beekeeping in a bottle is real beekeeping, not a honey hunting. In addition, your initial investment is minimal. The bottle is free, while the bee frames, wax foundation, honey extractor, and other equipment are not needed. However, after a year of such simplified beekeeping, you will receive your first honey, wax, as well as knowledge of the bee's life and the melliferous plants of your area. And then you can decide if you want to do this trade further without financial turmoil. It is going to be much easier and cheaper to develop a bottle apiary than a traditional one. Perhaps over time, bottle beekeeping will turn out to be even more progressive than traditional one. It is also conceivable that you may transition to conventional beekeeping after gaining a few years of bottle beekeeping experience. In all honesty, both beekeeping methods can be used simultaneously at the same apiary. One beekeeping technique in no way excludes the other. It is from my experience that it is pretty easy to keep bees in large plastic kegs. Such a keg hive is similar to a natural tree hollow hive. However, a beekeeper can add honey supers to it, which dramatically simplifies the process of honey harvesting. Whether there will be comb frames in a keg hive or not is the choice of the beekeeper. Personally, I don't really like frames for several reasons. As a beekeeper, I've always been bothered by traces of mildew on my wooden frames and the hive's inner walls. Even without honey, wood contains some glucose, which is food for fungus and mold. If the wood gets wet, fungus and mold will immediately start growing on it. This is not a problem in the summer, but during wintering, a bee colony would evaporate tens of liters of water, which would then condense inside a natural tree hollow, in the hive's walls, or on wooden frames. The wood gets wet and inevitably gets darker from the fungus. Since the bees are crawling on the mold, its spores can get into the honey and bee bread. I would much rather avoid that. And I love the fact that after two years of keeping bees in unframed plastic bottles, have noticed even trace of mold or mildew in them. Of course, the same amount of condensate appears in plastic hives as in a tree hollow. However, not only does it not absorb anywhere, but it also flows down the walls out of the bottle's neck, forming an icicle. This gives hope that mold cannot get into the honey. Although I'm probably being overcautious about the whole thing. These are comfortable in such a transparent hollow, but pathogens and parasites are not. For example. A varroa mite that has fallen off a bee would fall out through the neck cone, preventing a infestation on another bee. Bees do not live in tree hollows or wooden hives, per se. Bees live in wax combs, and it is secondary where their beeswax structure is located. It may as well be in the open air. In reality, a tree hollow or a bottle protects the honey and brood combs from birds, insects, large animals and bad weather, as well as helping to maintain the microclimate for the brood combs. These barely come into contact with plastic hives walls except at the tap hole. I use plastics that was approved for storing beverages for humans, which means it was approved by food protection agencies. If you have information on PET polymer being dangerous for humans, please let me know. The idea to adopt a plastic bottle as a beehive, came to me four years ago in Tanzania, right after descent from Mount Kilimanjaro. I saw with my own eyes that people are still barbarously using log hives, essentially ignoring modern beekeeping. At that time, I became convinced that thousand bees that don't experience wintering easily survive in such narrow miniature logs. So I thought the bees would be even more comfortable in large plastic bottles and even more so in plastic kegs. It would only be necessary to properly prep and insulate these bottle hives. For a bee colony to survive through winter in a natural tree hollow, its diameter must be at least 20 cm and the tree trunk must be at least 35-40 cm. Using a 9-liter plastic bottle, you can simulate a good-sized log where bees can successfully endure winter even in our northern forests. However, I can't fully claim this bottle hive idea as my own. Modern archeologists revealed that the bottle hive design concept is a few thousand years old. Through excavating ancient Sumerian tombs, they recorded clay vessels used as beehives. So the idea of keeping bees in an artificial vessel is at least 3000 years old. My innovation is a little different because plastic bottles, unlike log hives are very light. They can be easily stacked and joined. In other words, you can easily expand bottle hives upwards or downwards. I'm sure the beekeepers have already guessed what I'm driving at, and the rest of the viewers might need a few explanations. Each bee colony is eventually doomed to degeneration and death in the natural environment, but it can live practically forever with some help from a beekeeper. You might know a working bee life cycle a queen lays an egg in a comb cell, the larva emerges, the larva is fed, it turns into a nymph, the nymph pupates. The pupa turns into an adult bee and emerges from the cocoon. As soon as the young bee emerges from its cell, it cleans it, but part of the cocoon will always remain in the cell. The next bee hatched from the cell will have a little less space for its development, and it will be slightly smaller in size than the previous one. After each hatching cycle, the honeycomb cell will be slightly smaller and darker. When the bees inevitably fill the entire space of a tree hollow with honey, the queen will lay eggs in the same honey-free comb cells. So each new generation of bees will be smaller and smaller. The bees will degenerate and the bee colony will eventually die, leaving a tree hollow filled with honey. It happens because bees cannot renew their honeycombs, but the beekeeper can. My non-contact method of bottle beekeeping ensures a timely comb rotation, preventing colony degeneration. The idea is this. Because bees always deposit honey from top to bottom, when a bottle on the top level, which acts as a honey super, is fully filled with honey and the bees move to a deep super, I remove it and expand the deep super downwards by adding a new bottle, forcing bees to use aging comb cells for honey storage. Thus, the new wax comb from the new bottle will be used for hatching brood. In other words, they always use a new comb for brood, ensuring a timely comb rotation, preventing their nucleus degeneration. During the whole process, there is no need to open the beehive, move its frames, and disturb the bees. In essence, this is the method of an endless tree hollow, but with some innovative nuances. Of course, a record honey yield cannot be achieved this way, but the method has its advantages. And most of all, its simplicity and accessibility would work for literally anyone. Also, a completely transparent beehive allows you to observe and study bees' life continuously with your own eyes from all sides. Thanks to keeping bees in bottles over the past two years, without exaggeration, I have learned a lot about them. All in all, this is unusual and interesting, but there is more on that later. And now, for those who have watched the video up to this point, I will reveal a secret explain why I spend the expensive time on beekeeping instead of buying honey in the store. I am afraid to consume store-bought honey, and my fears are divided in two parts. Everyone knows that the varroa mite decrease the population of the wild honeybees, and to save their bees, beekeepers begin to use anti-mite products, such as sanitras, a poison that kills insects. If the dosage is proper, it only kills a mite, at least that's the idea. Emitrass can be poisonous and even fatal to a human, so I do not use it, which makes beekeeping more complex of a process for me. Commercial beekeepers sell honey to wholesalers at $2 per kilogram in the best years. I don't believe that there is no emitras in the honey jar bought in the store. This is half the problem. The second half is that I'd rather not eat honey harvested on land where pesticides, insecticides, growth accelerators, and other chemicals are used to preserve and increase the yield. Everyone knows that if you move your apiary to a flowering field where bad chemicals were used at the time, then the bees will die while collecting poisonous nectar from there, and I wouldn't want to eat honey produced from such nectar. I counted the cost of my friend's sizable organic apiary, and it turns out that he is selling honey at a net loss. This cannot last long. I believe that if you want something of a high quality, you're better off doing it yourself. Therefore, I'm a beekeeper, and I want to share this non-commercial honey production technique with you. Dear fellow beekeepers, please don't scold me in the comments for revealing the commercial industry secret. I assure you, this negative publicity will not harm you in any way, but probably only bring you more educated customers who will want to buy organic honey from you directly. I don't have agricultural fields in my vicinity, so I'm pretty confident about the high quality of my honey. However, some people might still use chemicals in their gardens and orchards in my village. Even though I can't physically transport my custom-made long and wide-frame beehives, I can easily take my bottle and keg hives with bees to the woods at least four kilometers from my village. And then I could be sure my honey is chemical free. I assure you I'm not against centrifugally harvested honey in the least. It's good, but crushed honey has its benefits. It tastes different and has a lot more pollen grains, making it more valuable from a medical standpoint. I really like crushed honey and therefore I even built a manual honey press to make it easier to separate honey from the wax. If you're not in a hurry, honey will drain from the honeycomb through a sieve. The pressed wax and all of the equipment with honey remnants can be given to bees for drying, and in a couple of hours they'll pick up all the honey to the last drop, so I don't have to wash my honey press, knife, plastic honey bottles, and other equipment. Moreover, this honey will not disappear. I will harvest it from the bees next year. Also, families beekeeping does not require the use of a honeycomb foundation, which further increases the quality of honey. The fact is that beekeepers rarely make their own foundation, and one cannot be sure there are no chemicals in the purchased foundation. I'm not even talking about paraffin, which can be deadly for the bee larvae. I mean, the poisons of the acaracite group, such as amitras. These pesticides are not entirely harmless to humans in any dose. But enough about honey. Back to the bees. This is how a barren queen bee looks just emerging from the queen cell. To prevent swarming, the old queen must be removed from the hive before a young queen emerges. If you put a queen cell in a bottle and pour a handful of bees into it, then you'll get a new populated bee nucleus, which may develop into a full-fledged family and even independently survive winter on its own honey. And all this is almost maintenance-free. It sounds like it's make-believe. but Look how these bees managed to develop in just 10 days after the queen's mating flight. By the way, such a bottle hive is an excellent platform for breeding and mating queen bees, a helpful note to bee breeders. If you take an infertile queen to an island or swamp in such a bottle, then you can be assured it will mate with your drones. If there is no extra queen or a queen cell at hand, then a brood of different ages can be planted into the bottle, making sure there are several fresh eggs in the brood. Orphan bees never leave the brood unattended and will build fistulous queen cells by enlarging cells holding freshly laid bee eggs. Later, a young queen will emerge from the queen cell, mate, and lay eggs. The Nucleus will quickly develop into a new colony with a young, strong queen. If you do not make specialized sectional brood frames for placing brood strips into bottles, part of the brood will die when being cut out of the comb. Even though it is a norm for a bee colony, I find it emotionally disturbing. So I'm experimenting with the design of brood frames. You can populate the bees in the bottle in different ways. You can pour them through a funnel into the bottle, or you can place the bottle over a hive as a honey super, then the bees will inevitably go into the bottle to protect feed and heat the brood in it. Perhaps this is the most progressive way of populating a plastic bottle with bees. However, this specific topic is probably more interesting to beekeepers, not the broad audience, and I will say a few words about it later. You probably noticed that I placed a couple of 30-liter kegs with bees in the forest, while some were installed in my house's facade. I also placed plastic bottles in the garden as well as in the living rooms of my salmon house. I can observe bottled honey bees daily to monitor their development and soothe the itch of the naturalist. You can see so much more of the bee's activities inside a bottle hive than in a one frame demonstration hive. You can literally observe the natural life of a bee colony from all angles. For example, you can observe a new larva, a bee pupa at each stage of its development. Shown here are typical movements of a laying worker bee. And in the same place, on the right side of the frame, you can see a sealed, drone cell in the working bee brood. You can observe the dynamics of how the bees are constantly changing the configuration of the honeycomb. This observation of the bee colony throughout the season has significantly advanced my understanding of the bees' biology and social organization. A few words about therapy should be added. Have you noticed that, on average, beekeepers live longer than non-beekeepers? Some say that the vibration emitted by bees has a positive effect on human health. The air they breathe from the hive has a beneficial effect on a person. Indeed, the hum and pleasant aroma from the hive is hard to miss. There is certainly a positive health effect caused by bees. To me, it is not so important what causes it, whether it's fighting vibrations, or a placebo effect. When you live in a house where the very atmosphere is considered to be healing by your loved ones, then, even for the sake of this psychotherapeutic effect, it is worth trying such a home period. Let me think? I didn't suspend the bottles the way the Tanzanians hang their log hives. I've tried it, and it is doable. However, it will complicate their insulation, darkening, replacement, their connections with other bottles. Plus, they will dangle in the wind, which would disturb the bees. A rigid attachment made from a few planks is more rational. Such setup can be made quickly and is more convenient to use it. You may have noticed that the recent legislation changes made beekeeping extremely complicated from a legal standpoint. It often turns a beekeeper into a lawbreaker, but not when you just place a bottle of bees in the forest. Only you know where the bees are. Perhaps such legal invulnerability is another plus in unconventional bottle beekeeping. Where do you begin? If you are not a beekeeper, where can you get your first colony in a bottle? There are several options. Using such bottles, you can catch swarms in your area. Alternatively, you can buy a swarm from a beekeeper and transfer it in a bottle yourself, which will not be easy. Or you can simply order a frameless bee split in a bottle in advance and buy it in the spring. Now, if you're not a beekeeper, you may wonder how you could split one colony into two with a non-contact method. You can connect a new empty bottle to the existing populated bottle, and then when there is brood in both bottles, you could physically separate them without contact. In the bottle where there is no queen, the bees themselves will make a queen cell and develop a new queen. Here's an old colony and a split from it that I created using a non-contact method. All that is needed is to connect disconnect and relocate the plastic bottles, followed by screwing a plastic cap onto the tap holes, the role of which is played by the neck of the bottle. As you can see, a completely non-contact beekeeping technique is available to anybody. The slogan beekeeping to the masses no longer seems so far-fetched. It would be difficult to overestimate the benefits of bottle splits at an apiary, as it is very convenient to keep spare queens in such bottles throughout the year. In such a bottle, queens can successfully overwinter. Any beekeeper would agree that it is nice to have a reserve of healthy mated queens around early springtime. Lastly, this is a free bee split without a honeycomb, which can be transferred to a new hive with frames in a matter of minutes. Another important result of my experiments suggests that if you don't fight the varroa mite at all, then some colonies and bottles will die during wintering, but those that survive the winter will continue to overwinter the following seasons successfully. Moreover, after division of the overwintered colony, both bee families are more likely to survive through the winter successfully. This means that natural selection favors varroa-resistant bees. This is extremely important. With the widespread use of this method, bees that are not resistant to varatosis will be forced out of the population. Then varatosis will cease to be a threat to honeybees. This is a hypothesis worth testing. In cold weather and at night, the field bees do not fly and rather they just sit in the bottle. It is better to manipulate them at this time. Of course, the video quality is not going to be the best for this clip. By the way, in this segment, I removed the top bottle with 100% honeycombs because I installed a queen excluder in the bottle's neck. A queen bee, being much larger than regular bees, cannot fit through it, therefore the bottle contains only the honeycombs without brood. Wooden skewers further secure wax combs inside the bottle, adding stability for them in the heat and during transportation. I've been practicing field experiments with bottle beekeeping for almost three years. And obviously, I have yet to develop an optimal technique for bottle beekeeping in such a short time, especially working alone. With that being said, I will omit showing my rejected techniques in order to prevent confusion. However, I wanted to draw your attention to some successful design features that proved to be effective. Be sure to make an additional side tap hole in the bottle hive using the neck of another bottle. In the event of the simultaneous death of a few dozen bees, can plug the lower entrance with their bodies and interrupt the ventilation causing the death of the whole colony. The improvised tap hole can be simply hot glued or press fit into the drilled hole. It is advisable to place the side tap hole on the tapered part of the bottle so that it is easier to insulate the bottle hive with foam. For insulation, it is best to use self-adhesive construction foam. Insulation and darkening of bottle hives that I use outdoors is mandatory to prevent condensation in cold weather and wax melting in hot weather. From my experience, the bees are very comfortable in a bottle hive with such insulation, even in extreme temperatures. I noticed that during hot days, the bees bulged out from tap holes for ventilation in my conventional hives, while the bottled bees were quiet and continued to carry nectar. Apparently, the bottle hive's thermoregulation was helped by the vertical ventilation that cycled through. and did not regulate the air draft in any way, although I have to regulate the openings of my conventional hive's tap holes in extreme temperatures. Speaking of polyethylene insulation, a one centimeter thick layer of foam with a reflective coating can match a 10 centimeter thick wooden board in terms of thermal insulation. The bees seem to be totally happy with its properties. In this shot it is minus 15 degrees celsius and there is virtually no frost on the ceiling of the bottle even though the bees almost completely covered the upper tap hole with propolis. In the spring they will reopen it. If you make a hole in the bottle cap, heat the mash and melt it into the end of the cap, you will get a wonderful screw on the end. When transporting the bottles with bees, it is very useful and can be made in just a couple of minutes from scrap materials. Ventilation is extremely important for bees. The thing is, bees quickly plug up any small holes in the bottle with propolis. So, ventilation is best done using additional tap holes or vents. I bought used 30-liter plastic kegs for a couple of dollars and they gave me a few extra for free, just to get rid of them. The material is not expensive at all. Keep in mind, kegs could still be under high pressure, so the first step is to depressurize them. To do this, it is enough to press on the rubber seal. PET kegs are wonderful craft material. You can cut them as you like with any sharp tool such as a utility knife or scissors. I made a simple lathe-like jig to make quick even cuts. Of course, going into trouble making this keg cutting jig is justified only if you need to accurately cut a lot of kegs. I have already used more than two dozen kegs for experiments, so it made sense in my case. As you can see, it is not at all difficult to assemble kegs into one endless tube, and this structure can be applied in other DIY areas besides beekeeping. Did you guess what I'm hinting at? And this is how a keg hive with frames looks. I wouldn't say that this design is particularly successful or convenient, but it is definitely an ultralight and a super-cheap hive. It is from my experience that for making a split nucleus, a queen's breeding container, and dividing bee colonies, it is better to use plastic bottles up to one liter. This means that you can get up to nine splits and then combine them with five liter bottles. Up to nine such splits can easily fit in one 10-frame hive or nine queens from one orphan family. Of course, they won't be the strongest queens, but there will be nine of them at once. Even a litter of bees in a bottle placed in a greenhouse will pollinate tomatoes or cucumbers with a bang. And in the fall, they can be joined to another family and change the old queen at the same time if necessary. This is multitasking in beekeeping. As you can see, bottles of different designs are connected using a transition threads of different diameter to make this non-contact beekeeping method more convenient and reliable. You may have noticed that my keg hive mounting boards are designed to hold two kegs sequentially, plus two cantilevered kegs. Four kegs with honey weigh more than 150 kilograms, 330 pounds. I'm afraid the robes will not support such a weight. Therefore, for a beekeeper who visits his keg hives in the woods and harvests honey once every three years, it is better to use a long board attachment setup. As far as using self-tapping screws on a live tree, I don't know of a more gentle way of attaching an object to a living tree than temporarily fastening it with screws. The self-tapping screw pushes the wood fibers apart without severing them, and most importantly, sap flow is not disturbed. I can't think of anything worse than using a clamp or a rope for this purpose, which can result in slow death of a tree. If you know a more gentle way of attaching a heavy object to a living tree, please advise in the comment section below. I will be grateful. So, as you can see, over the past few years, I have done a series of experiments on keeping bees in bottle hives of different shapes and sizes. With the results from these experiments, I'm trying to find a way to promote the spread of non-commercial beekeeping on the planet Earth in an avalanche-like way. Such a beekeeping revolution can save pollinators from extinction and pollinated ecosystems from decline, thus preventing world hunger. Humankind can live without honey, but without bees it will starve. To solve such an ambitious task and obtain reliable information on the topic, the research of one person over a short period of time is obviously not enough, and I'm not used to sharing hasty conclusions. Therefore, this year I'm publishing only a review video in order to attract beekeepers' interest and encourage further experiments. I will tentatively publish a detailed description of my bottle beekeeping technique next year, so the Bottle Hive beekeeping story is to be continued. Stay tuned for new videos. I really hope after watching this video some people will change their understanding of bees, beekeeping, as well as the benefits of honey. Maybe some of you will become beekeepers, extending the lives for yourself and your loved ones. Humankind can live without honey, but would starve without bees. If the innovative topic of this video is replicated by other beekeepers as actively as my video about the bottle cutter or the clamper tool, then my hope to stop the honeybee extinction will have a real chance to come true. Fellow beekeepers, don't stand aside. Make similar experiments on the topic, film them, and share the results on YouTube. Together we have a higher chance to succeed. I can see that because of the grandiose goal, the video turned out to be somewhat pretentious, but I hope you will not judge me harshly. One head is good, but two is better. Write your ideas and considerations. I read all of the comments. P.S. I understand that you're waiting for a video about the construction of my log cabin in the deep Caribbean forest. This year, I built a bridge across the stream to my cabin past the water mill. It is an 11-meter-long, bent glued bridge made entirely of downed hardwood. This is probably the most difficult project to date at my camp and the video editing is not simple, but I'm doing my best to complete the task to share it with you soon. You may have noticed I do not publish my videos often. And even if you subscribe to the channel, you will most likely not receive a new video notification, but you can try to set up a bell for all notifications. They say it helps.
0: Okay, anyway. Um, that's really cool. I really like that, that bottle beekeeping. That is very, very interesting and seems a lot easier than the whole spinner thing and, um, all that crushed honey. Hell yeah. I'm all about that. That's amazing. So anyway, um, oh, well, it's, uh, it's almost 420 somewhere. So how about we do our tribute to our good friend, Justin, who's no longer with us, and then we'll watch one last video before we get out of here. So, yeah, right? Easy does it. Isn't that badass? That is very cool. I'm definitely going to have to find out more information about that and uh, and try some of that. That is That is very cool. So get it ready y'all pack it up roll it up light it up smoke it up here we go for justin Of course, doing the show this early in the day, there's no chance that Mick comes in and, uh, you know, joins me because he's at work. Yeah, Claire, we miss him every day. We're right there with you. Probably one of the most difficult things that we've ever gone through, losing Justin.
2: That was really rough, still is. (laughs) Change.
0: <laughs> Top Gun 71, how are you doing today? Ruru. Pulling your lemon tree up today, found it has neo nickel. Neonicotinoids, I've never heard of that, sounds bad.
2: your back on the wood back so you're back on the wolf back your back on the wolf back so you're back on the wolf back you might wind up in a body bag all
0: right so um as we've been learning beekeeping isn't just about getting honey. Obviously it takes a year or uh, even about just saving the planet or making your plants grow bigger. Well, that's a big part of it, but you know, bees are interesting creatures in and of themselves. They have their own, I guess like any animal, um, almost their own personalities, right? We've been talking about how honeybees are, are gentle and, and nice and, wasps are assholes and, um, mud wasps too. Yeah. Uh, mud wasps are more gentle than yellow jackets, but they, uh, that's, that's actually what bit me that time was a mud wasp anyway. Um, but they, they have definite mentalities. I guess you have to understand the nature of bees to be truly successful in beekeeping. So again, we have a lot to learn. Um, so this is about uh, how the bees react when they reject a queen. So, so you know.
5: Hey everybody, this is David Barnyard Bees. Uh, Today's video is about another queen situation. And the last video I did, it showed a queen being accepted and how they acted when they accepted her. Well, here's the the opposite side of the spectrum, what happens. Can you see this right here? This little ball that they got going on right here. And you'll see the queen. They're balling this queen.
8: <clears throat>
5: this was actually the swarm. If you remember my my last video, when I had the swarm in the air and I used the stick and the pole, with a frame on it to get it down. And then I come over and I watched a swarm come in. Well, when I come down here yesterday and I was checking, they was balling the queen and they had her balled up in the bottom of the hive. Well, I rescued her, saved her, and put her in one of these cages here, one of these little plastic cages. Well, I put her in the cage, put her back in the hive for a couple of days, and I plugged it up with wax where they couldn't get it out. Well, they, they got it out. But as you can see right here, there's absolutely no mistaking what this looks like these bees are angry they absolutely hate this queen there's something about her they don't like and a little while ago I made I already made one video but my camera shut off right in the middle of it so I had to restart it so she actually has... Flown away and then flew back a couple times. She don't want to leave, but they're going to kill her. So the only thing we can do is put her back in the cage. Put her right there, so I can. Uh, they're actually see that's a tight. See how tight that is. They're not interested in stinging me. They're they only want to kill her. That's only the only thing they got in mind. So what i'm going to have to do is separate her from these bees i'm got to, to put it on paul so i can put her in the cage and then I'll return okay i finally got her back in the cage they did not want to let her go they had a death grip on her she's one of our mark queens so that swarm, when we did a split, they apparently, they sw- they swarmed out and ended up in this box, as you see on, on one of my videos. Now I've been through this hive and I've been through it two or three times. I've not yet found a queen. I've not yet seen eggs where another queen's laying, but something about that queen, they absolutely hate. So what I'll have to do is try to introduce another queen to this colony. Because they will kill her, absolutely no question about it. And this is a, I mean, it's not a very big swarm, but it's not a tiny swarm I either. Mean, there's a decent size amount of bees in it. But it almost looked like it has something bald there. But I've looked all through it and I've not yet seen a queen, not saying there isn't one. It's possible but what i'll do i'll close this hive back up and then i'll come back tomorrow and and i'll put another queen in there and a lot of times you do that and they're fine with them sometimes they'll never accept another queen that that is possible too and uh, sometimes uh, hives are just doomed to die if they won't ever accept a queen, it's it's rare. They just didn't like her, and and, I mean, there's a 90% chance when I put a a queen in here tomorrow that they'll accept Mm -hmm. her, more than likely. And then there's a real good chance when I take this queen and try to put it in another colony, there's a good chance they'll accept her. Um, It's hard to tell sometimes why they do that. She flies well, she's not wounded for sure. so I, i'm not really sure they just there's something about her it, you can't explain it th- sometimes why they don't like it that's just bees and their how they act but i thought that was very important i want new bee, beekeepers to see that and if you hadn't seen my other video on the release of i made a queen it was like two videos back go back and watch it and watch how gentle and nice they was to that queen they uh they had no problem whatsoever with with that queen so you just never know. So, what I'll, I'll install another queen tomorrow, and I'll take this one and put her in another colony. And that's all for today. I just wanted to show that. I thought that was really interesting. And um,
0: it is. Anyway, um, I guess she's just a bitch. They just didn't like her. Sometimes you meet someone you don't even know, and you just don't like them it happens helping hound you've got moles bad timing because you just got nice healthy potato plants i'm sorry dude i was trying to do my potatoes in raised beds or bags for that reason because there's all kinds of critters in the ground trying sweet potatoes in the ground but we'll see um yeah moles you need a jack russell or a, a, a little some kind of a terrier anyway uh, Tammy, where's my Saturday sidekick? Heather is fine. Um, her husband had to work this morning, so he took the car and she wasn't about to get up at five o'clock this morning and, um, bring his, bring his ass to work and then come here on a Saturday and I don't blame her. So that's fine. Uh, she should be back next week to join me. So yeah. Anyway, I hope you guys, uh, learn some more about bees. Like I said, I met a guy who is going to, uh, he will come in and set up a hive here and, um, we'll, we'll get it rolling. So, um, anybody would, that would like to contribute to Freedom Bees, we would surely appreciate it. Hit our g- gifts and go, giftsandgo.com slash Freedom Bees. And, um, you know, every, every little bit helps five bucks, whatever, that'd be awesome. So, and, uh, then I am definitely going to try my hand at catching, my own bees in a bottle hive. That'll be interesting. I have to find them first though. They are somewhere on the property. I saw them in the back. It's a lot of property. Um, but I saw like four or five of them. So they've they got to be there. So anyway. So thank you all for watching. And uh, we'll be back next week. Well, Mick and I will be back tomorrow for True Spiracy. We're going to discuss the Council of 300. That should be very interesting. Um, I I watched a, an old speech by Dr. John Coleman that I want to share with y'all. So we're gonna go over that and dissect it because a lot of it is pertinent to today. You know what we're going through today. It's it's not new and it's not it's been planned for a very long time. Um, and yeah. Anyway, so we're going to do that tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern for True Spiracy. And then back on Monday, of course, for the news at 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 45 for Liana's Musical Lounge. Uh, and then next Saturday, I'll be back with Freedom Gardens as well as 11 a.m. So thank you all for watching. I uh, surely appreciate it. And I will see y'all tomorrow. Have a great day.
3: I don't wanna act too high and mighty cause tomorrow I may fall down on my face Lord, thank you for sunshine, thank you for rain, thank you for joy, thank you for pain It's a beautiful day, it's a beautiful day Lord, thank you for sunshine, thank you for rain